Ludus Novus, Episode 1, July 29th, 2006. Press Enter to continue. Someone's gotta give. Yeah, someone's gotta change. I can't keep going on like this. I'm trying to do the right thing, but I'm not getting anywhere. You know how it is. Cause every dollar I make seems to get me nowhere. No matter how hard I try, I can't seem to get And welcome to Ludus Novus, the podcast discussing the art of interactivity, taking a look at interactive fiction, digital games, and role-playing. On this podcast, I'm not going to rate games out of five stars or hype up the latest and greatest blockbusters. I'm going to talk about how we can take games beyond just empty entertainment. I'm Gregory Weir, an undergraduate computer science major and author of a couple of interactive fiction games. Today, I'm talking about cutscenes and interactivity in digital games. One of the devices that digital games tend to use to tell stories is to use a cutscene. The most common form that cutscenes take, of course, is a separate scene that is usually in third person, even if the game itself is from a first person perspective, and you'll see what's happening, important story events, without being able to affect them they're typically non-interactive. One of the trends that seems to be gradually catching on these days is to have interactive cutscenes. Uh, Half-Life is probably the quintessential example of interactive cutscenes. In the game Half-Life, you start out the game and from then till the end there's never a point at which you're in an entirely non-interactive cutscene. There are several times when the best you can do is look around, but even at those times, you're not taken out of the perspective of the game. And so it sort of helps bind you in to what's going on in the game. You see similar things in interactive fiction games. Your classic, typical interactive fiction game will start out with a, a scene or a block of text that describes who you are and what you're doing. But some games will have an entire scene there where your character is interacting with people but you don't have any way of controlling that. It, it seems to me that the interactive cutscene is a lot more popular in interactive fiction than it is in, in other digital games. The uh, interactive cutscene that you'll see often in interactive fiction games is that things will be going on, someone will be telling you something, and you, meanwhile, will be able to look around, examine things, stuff like that. Now, cutscenes serve, I think, a very important purpose. There are certain things that happen in the story of a game that you don't really have a good way of doing in the game. If you're playing a game where the primary way that you interact with it is by shooting things, 
then if you want your character to interact with someone in a way other than shooting them, have a conversation, negotiate with them, it's very difficult to make that fit in with the running and shooting part of the game. So you put in a non-interactive cutscene where your player character talks to someone, negotiates with them, tells them to follow them, threatens them, whatever, and then drop back into the action where you're running and shooting. In my opinion, this is perfectly fine. If you're making a game that's about running around and shooting, the player doesn't necessarily want to take time out to negotiate a treaty for five minutes and then go back to shooting. There's a certain scope that a game has that you don't want to leave. The, the problem is when the game does something like take you out of running and shooting in order to show a cutscene where your character dives heroically through a door shooting bus behind him and then is confronted by your dreadful black-suited enemy aiming a gun at your head. What that does is it says, oh, you've been really great at this running and shooting thing so far, but we're going to take over because we need you to, to do something that we really don't want to implement or that you're too good at to actually fall for. Another classic example of this is when a character walks into a room and is confronted with, oh dear, four of the same kind of enemy that he's been attacked with so far. Now, if I walk into a room with four standard level grunts and they're pointing guns at my head, in a game where I've been easily taking care of hundreds of these things in one level, I'm not going to raise my hands, drop my weapon, and surrender. Of course, the developer says, oh, well, he needs to be captured here according to the plot of the game, so I'm just going to put it in a cutscene and assume that, you know, he, he thought he couldn't survive. That sort of thing is very, very much removes the control of the player from the game. Another example is when in your classic burly, I'm using guns to kill things game, you're destroying a, a boss, the, the strongest character in the game, and you fire at it, you fire at it, you fire at it, and... You finally deal the, the maximum amount of damage that it has, reduce its hit points to zero, and you get dropped into a cutscene where it collapses onto the ground, your character walks up and performs the coup de grace by shooting it in the head. Now here's an instance where the thing that they're doing, finishing off the central enemy of the game, is not only shooting, which is something that the character's been doing throughout the game, but it's also something that's very important. One of, one of the most impressive and heroic things that this character is doing, supposedly, according to the game, is finishing off this final enemy. So why not let the player finish off the final enemy? Instead of having the character pull the trigger in a cutscene, it's perfectly feasible to drop back into the action and let the player do it themselves. You can limit the player's motion, you can limit the player so that they pretty much have to do that, but let them press the button to pull the trigger themselves. Of course, this kind of ties into another problem where if you don't drop into a cutscene at certain points, things can get kind of um, 
confusing for the player. There are a lot of times when I'm in a sort of running and shooting game, and I'm fighting some sort of huge boss character, and I'm shooting at it, and I'm shooting at it, and I'm shooting at it, and then I realize, oh, it, it died about 10 seconds ago, and I've just been shooting, and I missed the big dramatic creature collapsing. So there are various things you can do here if you don't want to drop into a non-interactive cutscene, but you do want to add a little bit of drama. It's perfectly acceptable to take a little bit of control of the player's viewpoint or prevent them from shooting as you focus on this, this evil character's dramatic demise. I guess what I'm thinking at this point is that cutscenes should never take away the ability for the player to do an important act that is within the scope of the game. And at the same time, cutscenes are important for establishing drama and highlighting certain events that are important to the plot of the game, and also for doing things that you can't do within the scope of the normal game. An example of a game that I think pulls off the semi-interactive cutscene really well is the game Shadow of the Colossus. Without uh, spoiling the plot of the game too much, I'll just say that there is a, a cutscene rather late in the game where something is happening that you really, in, in the story of the game, can't avoid. It's, it's a struggle that you're bound to lose. But what the game does is instead of showing you a cutscene where you can't stand to, to defeat the struggle and not allowing you to try, it allows you to try and allows you to struggle for pretty much as long as you like, never making progress and eventually failing at what you're trying to do. This allows you to gain an appreciation for how difficult the task is for you to truly understand as a player that, yeah, that this is actually something that I wouldn't be able to do as, as the character. And it gives you a, a role in what is a very important point in the story. So that, I think, is the way to go, if possible, with cutscenes and interactivity in these digital games. After the break, I'm going to focus a little more specifically on interactive fiction, because I think that cutscenes work uh, a bit differently in a text-based game than in a video-based game. You know I work hard all day Seem to get Interactive fiction, the opening cutscene, the text dump at the beginning before you get a chance to act, 
is a pretty standard way of establishing the setting, the, the basic who, what, where, and why of your character. And it's something that I think people are pretty secure with at this point. One of the things that Michael Coyne mentions in his article, First Timer Foibles, is that beginners at writing interactive fiction often make an opening cutscene that's too long and that tells too much or, and too much of what's not important and not enough of what is. What he, he says, this is a quote, a useful exercise is to take every sentence in your opening and figure out what it tells the player about the game and his role in it. So go through the sentences and if it doesn't establish the character or give you background that's important for playing the game, you can probably leave it out. Uh, I'd, I'd probably add that the setting of the game, the where of the four W's, is really something that isn't that important to establish in the opening cutscene. If you want to let someone know they're in some really unusual circumstance, that's fine, but they'll probably figure out that they're, if not in Czechoslovakia, somewhere in Eastern Europe, if you've written the location descriptions well, if you give the right feel to the game. If you need the opening info dump in order to establish too much of your setting and character, you're probably not doing a good enough job at portraying that setting and character in the middle of the game. So since people have pretty much explored the opening cutscene pretty thoroughly in, in various other essays and so on, I'm going to look at other cutscenes that you see in interactive fiction. And I'm going to do this by example, by looking at a game called Nothing But Mazes by Greg Bocher. It was uh, released as part of IntroComp 2006, just uh, a few weeks ago. And um, it's interesting because in its first maybe 15 minutes of gameplay, it has four different kinds of cutscenes that are very common um, in interactive fiction. Nothing But Mazes opens with what I like to call a locked box cutscene. It's a cutscene in which you, it, it's almost universally at the be very beginning of a game. And you're in mysterious circumstances, usually pitch black, and you can't move. You can't really do anything. The reason for this changes from game to game, but it seems to be a standard way of establishing a mysterious beginning a mysterious setting to your game. Often it's because your character is in a dream world or in some sort of featureless surrealist void, but it does a good job I think at establishing that feeling of oh I'm helpless I can't do much but it is a bit of a trope it's a bit cliched the next kind of cutscene that you see a lot is the text dump cutscene. It's where sometime in the middle of the game something happens where for whatever reason, hopefully one of the reasons that I said earlier were good reasons for cutscenes, you want to drop into a cutscene and not have the player interact through it. So you print a few paragraphs of text saying what happened. And if there's more than a few paragraphs of text, you have the player press any key between them to sort of break up the events that are occurring. 
So nothing but mazes do it does this for a while. You get some text dump, and then it adds a little something that you don't see very much in interactive fiction that I think is effective if done right. It pops in pictures into the cutscene, so you see a few paragraphs of text and an accompanying picture, and have to press any key in between them. There's one last kind of cutscene that Nothing But Mazes demonstrates, and that's the conversational cutscene. And it's something that's that's pretty standard with non-player character interaction in interactive fiction games. When you're interacting with a character in IF, usually it comes in one of two forms. The character is standing in one place, waiting around for people to talk to them. You ask them about some things, you tell them about some things, and you can leave or re-enter at any point, and the character doesn't really mind. They don't really notice you coming or leaving. They're just a, a standing stationary oracle for your interaction. The other way that things tend to go is your character is held in one place, and the non-player character is standing there talking to you. And that's, that's what I call the conversational cutscene. You can't do anything. You're glued to your chair. You might be able to look around and examine things, but the other player is going to talk to you, damn it, and they're not going to let you go anywhere until they've said their spiel. So it, it has one of these in Nothing But Mazes, and often, as, as we see in Nothing But Mazes, the conversation can only take a certain path. There isn't really any important decision to be made unless it's a decision to continue with the conversation or to end it or even sometimes to continue with the conversation or make a wrong choice and die but I still think that this sort of conversational cutscene would be preferable to a text dump cutscene where you weren't able to choose what you wanted to say to the person you just were told what you said to the person I think that even if there's really only one good option for each intersection point in the conversation, you still it's still nice to give the player the opportunity to choose. It sort of maintains an illusion that he has agency in controlling the path of the game. But we, we see the, these four cutscenes, if, if you put them in order of the amount of ability you give the player to affect the game. The the least restrictive one of them would probably be the conversational cutscene, especially if you allow the conversation to take various paths, if there's meaningful choices that the player makes in the middle of the conversation. Of course, I'd argue that it would be even more effective if the character could realistically move from their spot if they needed to um, but that becomes more complicated to handle. You have to figure out what happens if the player leaves and comes back, and how does the, the other character react. The next most restrictive is the lockbox cutscene. It's one that we see various variations of. Sometimes you're not entirely in a lockbox. Sometimes you are in a sealed room witnessing events that happen outside. But this allows you to move around, you still get prompts every once in a while so you can do actions, but your actions are pretty much restricted to examining various things or ineffectually yelling for help. Then there comes the text dump cutscene, which basically your only interaction is, okay, I've finished reading this part, let's move on. And then if you want to be most restrictive, you can get to the opening cutscene, which you haven't even gotten a chance to do anything, even the chance to put yourself in this position. 
So read it, and your reward for reading it is getting to interact. I don't think there's any hard and fast rule for when a more interactive cutscene or a not less interactive cutscene is more important. But I think if you follow the same guidelines in interactive fiction as you would in a more real-time, complex digital game, that you really can't go too wrong. The general idea is, if it's something that goes outside the scope of the game, if, you're, if the actions in it are something that the player hasn't been doing, the player character hasn't been doing, that you don't want to become a part of the way the player interacts with the game, feel free to cutscene it. Just make sure that any important actions that the player character takes are able to be taken by the player. You don't want the player character making a dramatic decision that the player doesn't have any role in. So generally I'd say if you don't have a good reason for putting in a cutscene, then have it be interactive if you've got an interactive fiction game. One of the strengths of interactive fiction is you can really do pretty much anything in IF. So you might as well put the scene where the player gets dragged away, make that interactive. They won't be able to do anything about it, but allow them to struggle, allow them to plead for help, allow them to look at the people who are dragging them away as they're being dragged. I think that's a good overview of cutscenes and how I think they should be used. So if you have anything that you'd like to add to this uh, discussion, or if you'd like to get more information about the things mentioned in this podcast, visit ludusnovus.net, L-U-D-U-S-N-O-V-U-S dot net for comments, show notes, and anything I've forgotten to mention in this podcast. Next time, I'll be discussing the unreliable narrator in interactive entertainment. If you've got anything you'd like to say about that or have comments on this show, you can send them to Gregory at ludusnovus.net. G-R-E-G-O-R-Y at L-U-D-U-S-N-O-V-U-S dot net. Ludus Novus is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial 2.5 license. The music for this episode is Babylon Bring Me Down by Spinning Merkaba, offered under a Creative Commons by Attribution Non-Commercial 2.5 license. See you next time. It all, it all.